0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host Jenny Gladman, and for this fourth season, I'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. And more specifically, within hydrogen. We'll be hearing from individuals with very different focuses within hydrogen, but with one clear goal of how we can fuel a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So, today's guest is the co founder and CEO of H2Go Power, an award winning spin out of the University of Cambridge, who are developing pioneering energy storage technologies. She completed her PhD at Cambridge University, where she also was a postdoctoral fellow and elected the Cambridge University Engineering Champion. Since 2018, Enas has played a number of roles for the World Economic Forum, including her current undertaking as one of the Class of 22's young global leaders. So, actually, this episode has been a couple of years in the making. We've try- tried and failed <laughs> on both of our parts. So, I am delighted to finally welcome Enas Abohamed to Conversations in Clean Tech. Enas, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a real, real pleasure to finally make it happen and uh, and join you on this
0: podcast and looking forward to it. Me too. Um, So before we go into the questions, do you want to give our listeners a bit of a background? Who are you inside and outside of work?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, not much outside of uh, outside of work. <laughs> but uh, let me let me uh, talk talk a little bit about what I do at work. So um, I run a company called H2Go Power. It's a tech business that uh, Luke, my co-founder, and a few other co-founders have started eight and a half years ago. Believe it or not, started a hydrogen business eight and a half years ago when we were all at uh, Cambridge University. Uh, back in the days, we were all students and, and um, the idea was very exciting for us. Uh, and core Tech came from uh, my PhD. This was my my uh, IP from my PhD. And uh, since then, uh, we have really built a business around it. and. Uh, moved really to become a hydrogen engineering business and a software business uh, that looks at uh, developing uh, and deploying hydrogen storage infrastructure uh, through partnership and collaboration model with the industry with um, focus on decarbonizing um, a major emitting and polluting industries and uh, the second thing is uh, we build, uh, we have a SaaS platform. We build um, end-to-end uh, software that allows to optimize decisions made in the cloud in real time of how to better operate your assets and how to make the most out of them uh, economically. Uh, and in my opinion, that tool is, uh, is groundbreaking and the potential of it. Uh, will have implications to how you actually control the unit economics and reduce the hydrogen dollar per kilogram cost down. So um, as you can imagine, this is a lot of work so that's why I spend a lot of my time actually focusing uh, on that. Uh, outside that, uh, I have uh, a 20 months old uh, twins. I spend a little bit of time with them uh, and it's uh, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun. So um, they keep me uh, busy outside of work.
0: Lovely. And there's definitely no room for anything else there. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> a startup and twins. Um, yeah, you're a superwoman. You touched on there being the spin out of um, a university and it being um, the IP of your thesis. But a lot of people are in academia, but not a lot of people take that plunge into jumping into the world of startups. And I think it's, it's very different. Actually, I had a very interesting conversation with one of your employees. Um, and that was how we met talking about that jumping out of academia into the world of startups and where academia you have lots of time you can do lots of iterations there's not always the financial pressure of um, your backers and it's i wouldn't say easier but just a lot more steady and when you get into the startup world it can be a lot more cutthroat but i guess also a lot more exciting and have a greater impact on the industry so what was the kind of moment when you realized I'm going to take this into the outside world? Um,
1: it started as a 7, 8 p.m. program that I did at Cambridge, which was called iTeams, where you come together with, the, with a team and um, investigate what's the commercial potential of an idea that you have so they bring the inventor and they make the inventor a supervisor or something like that they explain the science or what the invention is and the team go and do market research speak to companies and you know really like you know assess if there is a there is a fit to do something with it commercially uh, or not this is how it all started i was really looking for something to to do in the evening um which was fun uh where i could you know meet people and uh, get out of the lab and it ended up being you know something that brought me back to the lab actually um <laughs> it it really started without any planning or thinking uh, have an idea I want to start a company it was really like just to entertaining like what could you do with this uh, would this be uh, be useful and um, just to, just to note my PhD actually was on hydrogen storage uh, and I think um, maybe I was the only person in the department uh, looking at hydrogen storage at the time. But I uh, had a very open-minded uh, PhD supervisor who said you could do whatever you want, uh, and I thought that was very interesting. And 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 the solution uh, could be phenomenal in terms of like transforming industries. Obviously, when I when I said these exact words eight and a half years ago or a bit before that, uh, you know, people looked at me in in a, a very uh, not so. Uh, admirable way that you know, what are you talking about? Um, but uh, it's uh, looking it, back at it, eight and a half years later, it definitely was a, um, a groundbreaking idea. And, and, and that was definitely a, a seed for a very, very interesting and, and fulfilling path.
0: Amazing. And can you give us a bit of an insight into how H2Go is different from from other companies in the space? Uh, We're
1: a technology business, and uh, um, a core value that we kept over the years from day one is technical excellence. Um, Don't oversell. uh, Don't talk too much about what you do if you're not sure that it works and it can deliver. Uh, I think uh, mastering the technology uh, and uh, continuously improving it and uh, uh, benchmarking it. Properly uh, in the market, and then positioning it in uh, uh, industrial applications and forming partnerships um, to deliver projects at scale based on a very strong technology. Uh, And all of that is mostly uh, because of the team and the quality of the people that we hire. Uh, That's something that will first bring us all together. We're all tech savvy. Uh, we measure everything we do, uh, uh, we, we, we overdo it sometimes with measuring things and, 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 and collecting data and analyzing it. But uh, it works so well if you want to uh, say, uh, here's how we are different from from others in the market. It's the strength of the tech and uh, how we convert that into a commercial product based on uh, robust performance differentiators.
0: Lovely. And you talked very briefly there about the team, but I wanted to go a bit deeper into your co-founder. So yourself and Luke are a solid team. But how did that come about um, in terms of uniting as co-founders?
1: So that uh, that program I told you about, iTeams, uh, that's where I met uh, Luke. Luke and I did our PhDs in the same uh, chemistry department. He was looking at uh, materials for fuel cells. So he understood the problem of hydrogen storage really well because he was working on fuel cells and uh, uh, this is what he told me when he uh, saw the advertisement uh, for uh, hydrogen storage solutions, he was like, "Oh, that's a real problem i'm gonna I wanna go have a look." And when I presented the technology in the first uh, uh, in the first meeting, um, he connected to the solution. We worked really well together. Uh, Luke is the smartest pe- person uh, I've ever met, uh, and uh, um, we've been together on this journey. Uh, and he's a very credible technical uh, co-founder. He's been in charge of actually developing the technology and making sure that everything is uh, is working as well as as we wanted to, uh, so we can um, you know really promise the performance uh, that. That, you know we we promise it to to the industry uh, a lot of the technological breakthroughs and the ip in the company um came because of him uh, and uh, we always worked very well together so and, and we survived really difficult uh, difficult times uh because we started really early so uh, a big part of the journey at the beginning was surviving it and uh, believing in the product and believing in uh, uh, how exciting the technology and how different it was uh, was really like, you know, uh, what connected us to uh, to continue uh, working on it when the majority of the world actually didn't understand it and didn't want to understand it.
0: And I think that's it is some people go it alone, founding a startup, but having someone to lean on is is pretty important um i've not been doing it as long as you but i know that the sometimes that moment when the going gets tough you just need the other person there and for them to be having a better day
1: <laughs> yeah and that was that was the beginning and uh, uh later down the line um everyone else we hired uh, who actually like you know took the product to the to the next level uh was uh, very very aligned uh very similar in terms of their passion to doing something that is technically excellent, but very useful as well. Uh, and uh, we managed to hire people who were very similar in their thinking, uh, in terms of uh, how well they wanted to do something. They don't want to overpromise or oversell, uh, but they want to build uh, and uh, and optimize. And it really matters when you're building hardware, and it really matters when you're building. A hydrogen product that could have i mean if you did not do it very well if you oversold it if you went very very fast to the market uh you know a lot a lot of things could fail and could not work uh and uh i think i i feel very lucky a lot more than talented uh that uh, we managed to hire all these people over the journey uh and because of them we are where we are today
0: nice and you stayed humble um now this is the hydrogen series of our podcast so actually when we were going to do this before it was a different series so you are really perfectly aligned to this series so it was fate that took us a while to get here but since we're talking about hydrogen i wanted to take a step back and you kind of touched on it but i um i did my preparation ahead of our call um and looked at what your phd was and and what that in turn meant now, I have to read this because my memory isn't as good as yours, but... You oh, I forgot about what it was. <laughs> the nanocatalytic system. Um, now, what I would love for you to do is to talk to our listeners who also don't speak chemistry, like I don't, <laughs> um, and explain a bit about what that PhD actually was, and then in turn, how that became the company.
1: Yeah. Uh, actually that's a, a very good question I hope i I, I, I can manage to answer it uh, uh, as as well as you asked it so um my PhD had like a few a few chapters so one of the things if I remember correctly that I was doing was uh, building metastable nanoparticles making them uh, through like simplifying the the fabrication methodology. Uh, so you could have a lot of access to the surface of the nanoparticles and make them really good catalysts uh, for uh, hydrolysis, where you can generate hydrogen through the catalytic surface of the of the catalyst. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing uh, during that time is actually characterizing these nanoparticles and, and seeing what shapes uh, they came out uh, in. So that that part of my PhD was, uh, was successful, exceeded my expectations in terms of how reactive the catalysts were. And then I started to look at ways to actually uh, make them more stable. Uh, and that was through um, putting them uh, on surfaces that allowed them to remain active and uh, accessible. Uh, and I think the the sweet uh, IP that kickstarted the company was the concept where I was putting these nanoparticles on a thermoresponsive polymer uh, that allowed uh, switching on and off from generation, storage, release mode, uh, on-demand by controlling the temperature of, of the environment. And uh, watching it looked really fun because you could actually see it uh, and it was an obvious phenomenon that you could see it in, in, uh, in your eyes when you, when you activate the experiment. Uh, but also the data and the measurement showed us uh, something that was not done before. I think this is um, the first time that I started to think about, can this be a product? Can, we, can this be used uh, in a commercial application if we made a big polymer? Uh, not a small one in the lab. Uh, And um, this was the idea that I've taken to iTeams, the the program that I told you about, uh, where I met Luke uh, and and the rest of the co-founders. And um, uh, this was uh, heavy material focused on storing hydrogen in materials. Uh, And then we've done some work on Unit economics, commercialization. Who would buy this? How much would they pay for it? And realize that we could use the same concept, the same principle, which is store hydrogen and release it on demand based on changing the temperature. Uh, don't compress the gas because it's going to cost you more. It's going to be unsafe. Uh, and and there are better ways that that could be done with it. Uh, and uh, that concept was the a concept that we started the company with. Uh, What we've done over the years is we really shifted to using materials that are commercially available. We buy them today in tons, uh, in a scale of tons that can be manufactured at tons per day. uh, And um, very well-established science, very well-established supply chain, lots of risks Taking out through the, all of the studies and research and, uh, and manufacturing and industries that scale the process. So we don't do anything with materials ourselves anymore. However, the same concept uh, and the same value in, in, in all of the IP portfolio that, that we have remains the same. Uh, but it, it inspired us to develop a, a much lower cost process. Uh, where we build systems and over the years, uh, we decided to build systems and make them intelligent. Uh, so everything, every piece of hardware we build is AI driven. It doesn't work just because you, you open a valve and and when you want it to work, it predicts when it's the best time for it to work and, and, and does that. But really the concept is don't compress hydrogen, can convert it chemically. Uh, and store it release it on demand uh, through tr- uh, triggering a change in the temperature of the medium. Uh, that is a process that we fully automated uh, over the years at scale uh, and without the need to work at high pressures and compressing gas what we can achieve uh, in terms of benefits uh, a process that is around 50 percent lower in cost. Uh, uh, increased efficiency, twice the amount of hydrogen that you could store per unit volume. Uh, and uh, uh, all of these benefits, when they stack, make a lot of practical sense in the industry when you're talking about massive hydrogen projects uh, and massive hydrogen uh, generation systems that actually need to be stored where
0: it's where it's, uh, um, generated. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot of changes a lot of different no it's it's brilliant it's that was a long answer <laughs> It was, but it's also good to see that it's one of those things people think that you have an idea and you start a business and all of a sudden it's done and it's really not and I think that's it is that it, it is a journey um and it kind of leads into one of the questions I always ask founders of businesses around the challenges that you've you've come across along the way, some expected because of general challenges in the industry and economy, but some unexpected and and what those have been and how you've overcome them?
1: Um, really good question. So um, maybe the, the first challenge was, uh, if you don't want to talk about uh, idea, product market fit, market readiness, um, just, uh, I started H2GO Power during my PhD. I was trained as a scientist. Um, I worked in a group uh, and in a department where things needed to be presented at a, a specific quality uh, and in, a very, in a very good way where you present all the details. Uh, you know, how, how scientists uh, present work. Uh, all the evidence, all the data, um, you need to show that you you thought about um, everything. Uh, otherwise, you're not a good scientist. And I came from that mindset, uh, wanting to start a business. So the first few pitches went terribly wrong because I was using the training that, uh, that I had, which is like, you know, talk about what doesn't work and present it as accurately with all the details, not really thinking about the potential. Um, how could this make money? Which what the, 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 the business world wanted to hear. Uh, and that, that, you know, we're not even talking about um, correlating that the idea actually did not have a market at that time because this was before the market. So just to, the challenge to be taken seriously as a, as a scientist Um, presenting a business idea speaking the wrong language uh, was very difficult Uh, and i knew uh, early on that if i wanted to do this i have to unlearn some of the presentation skills uh, that uh, are extremely needed for a for a scientist presenting science results and learn new Communication skills that uh, an entrepreneur pitching to a business audience need to need to know how to uh, to master, uh, and uh, it was very uncomfortable at the beginning because it didn't feel like this was what I was good at. Um, but um, but I was excited to learn. But this was really the first challenge. The second challenge was that actually I was working on a, on a, on an idea uh, that did not have a market uh, at that time, or what may, maybe even was people uh, associated hydrogen with the failure of the past because this was, you know, we're, we're talking about 2013, 2014. Uh, nobody wanted to invest in hydrogen at, at, at that time. And I remember like all the 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 comments that I that I uh, used to receive from investors saying we well, you you don't seem uh, you know like a stupid person but the idea is stupid or, or things like that that were really mean <laughs> like absolutely no encouragement that there is a, there is a there is a hope to uh, to do something about it so the, the, these are it's, it's, it, I really laugh at it now but it was really hard at the time and and talking about what was challenging at the beginning that was very challenging like you know getting feedback like that and thinking, you know, I want to continue. I think I I believe in it. Also, like we started the the business in 2014 is when we officially registered it. This was before Paris and the decarbonization conversation targets was not a mainstream conversation. Um, Financial markets were doing really well. Uh, 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 Oil and gas was doing really well um there wasn't really um, a need to talk about transition decarbonization and where hydrogen fits within uh, within all of that uh, and why was uh, a molecule like hydrogen uh, that if you generated it in a in a clean way why does this mean a very elegant solution uh, uh, for decarbonization uh, you solve a as a, a decarbonization problem but you also provide a solution for a uh, reliable uh, and, and, and clean power supply uh, and um, it, it was just really really challenging to um to convince anybody to back us at that at that point because the market was not there and, and, and decarbonization didn't mean much to to most investors. Um, having said that, I know that this is a very... <laughs> I went I went very, very deep into the challenge vertical, but uh, having said that, it, things have changed so much today that if you'd ask me for, uh, for uh, advice for somebody who's like an aspiring entrepreneur, I'd say because that challenge it, it's not it's not really a challenge anymore today people understand uh, the need to decarbonize there is so much space uh, for more entrepreneurs with great ideas great incredible technologies to actually uh, really transform part of the industry and and it's actually although that that was the challenge that uh, we've started with um, things have changed a lot, uh, and uh, and today you have a lot of impact funds, uh, climate funds, uh, uh, the type of funds that did not exist eight and a half years ago, which means a lot more opportunities uh, for backing for entrepreneurs with um, with uh ideas in the same sphere, uh, and that's very encouraging and very positive. Uh mm-hmm.
0: huh. Um, And speaking of that kind of journey through the acceptance of hydrogen becoming an obvious solution, not to tackle the whole of climate change on its own, but being a part of the solution um, and just being more readily accepted. Where do you think we are on that journey at the moment?
1: I think that change is happening. At least the awareness is there today. and a lot of like uh, activism work actually, not not, not necessarily just the, the the action and the technologies and the scaling work, uh, but a lot of the activism brought to our attention uh, that something has got to change. And um, people are a lot more accepting to data and information that tell us uh, what's gonna happen if we don't change. Uh, and that uh, that makes a big difference in terms of acceptance and the change that happens after acceptance in my opinion it's very positive and it's encouraging um is it fast enough um a lot more can be done uh faster uh but is it encouraging do we see the signs of change that we need to see yes i mean you're seeing a lot of uh industries that would not be open uh, uh to diversify into uh, decarbonizing um their assets uh the way they generate energy the way they consume energy um you see them like you know leading leading the change today uh some of them are are a lot more impressive than others but there are a lot of positive signs and signals in the market that uh, say change is happening and I really hope that this is just the start uh, and we will see a faster pace from a year to a year and also I think that uh, uh, the pandemic was a, a transformative uh, point uh, a data point on the curve where people have really felt uh, what does it mean uh, to be locked into an unpredicted event and um, like having a, having a pandemic surrounding us uh, and climate change is, and this is just a sample of, of what climate change is going to bring on us in terms of more unpredicted events. And that did drive a lot of change. Uh, and uh, uh, although that was, a, that was a very negative point in time for many of us, uh, but it did bring positive change and diversion from how things were before that
0: and talking of um the challenges in the sector what do you think are the things that are currently slowing the hydrogen space down where are the stumbling blocks
1: i do think that the fact that you are building a a new industry uh, with many stakeholders who are going to do things very differently. So regulations are not unified. Uh, uh, Taxation, subsidies, uh, incentivizing um, frameworks are very different from a country to another. Uh, And uh, you see a lot of effort sometimes being repeated in many different places, in many different countries, which is counterproductive, and that does slow the progress, the progression of the industry. Uh, And also you do see a lot of bureaucracy uh, that hold progress back. Uh, I see a lot of uh, uh, impressive progress that comes from small businesses and technology businesses uh, Mm -hmm. really trying to move the needle. Uh, And I see a lot of announcements and and, and talk on massive projects that... uh, you know after 2 years you see like there's there's not much progress there's not much much difference um so there is a there is a dynamic environment for sure uh, can we move faster uh, of course and we should but we do have the momentum that we never had before and that is something that one needs to to acknowledge uh, and uh, hopefully it's just the start uh, of where the industry could go and we'll see a lot more progress From you know every year, and um, um, frameworks like uh, and incentives like uh, the IRA in the US are instrumental to moving the needle in this industry. And I really hope that in Europe, in the UK, and everywhere else in the world, just learn how to do uh, things like that, and uh, hopefully that is going to accelerate the progression. Uh, on all fronts in the industry, from generation to consumption.
0: And thinking closer to home on the challenges we've talked before um, within your business of growing it and and what challenges come with that. So I guess it's always an exciting time for a startup when you can bring more people into the business. And I guess, as you so kindly said about your team at the start, they're the people that are now instrumental in driving that change. but what are the challenges that you find around around talent and bringing people into the business?
1: Such a good question because uh, people inside businesses are the ones who make make the difference. And once you've built something that works really well, you want to make sure that there's a continuation to that. Uh, and that will happen through like hiring uh, the same calibre or, or similar quality of people. That always is challenging. Uh, because you have already uh, a culture that you're hiring uh, others to fit into, and uh, sometimes you find people out there who fit, uh, who tick all the boxes, but don't feel fit within the culture. Um, and uh, that's that's for example one, one thing that uh, you need to uh, to uh, think about uh, the progression of the culture as well and how it can be uh, more inclusive to a lot more people who could be actually different from from what you've built, and make sure that it's going to work uh, equally well. Uh, that's challenge number one or current challenge. Um, second, um, I've had a, I've had a difficulty in hiring females into into the business early on uh, because we were hiring for very technical rules, and the the pool uh, of talent was not that that. Uh, large uh, so we'd put a, a, a an ad for a, an automation engineer and we would get zero applicants from females so it's just very difficult to invent candidates for a job that you have and at the same time you're a startup that have to move fast so you just need to I mean your, your hiring process has to have a, a time range and uh, that that particularly wasn't wasn't something that I was very proud about uh, as, a, as a female founder. Uh, that is changing, actually, uh, and uh, we're hiring a lot, a lot more females into uh, engineering rules across the business, uh, in the software business, uh, in the hardware business, and the automation business. Uh, and that's um, it. It takes a bit of patience uh, and learning. And once you uh, you hire uh, more uh, more people who can help you hire the next batch. Uh, of people, you know, they, they, they can also, um, you know, if, if you have females, they'll help you uh, hire more females. Uh, if you have uh, people with uh, specific qualifications, they will look for people that are uh, similar to them. Uh, and, and that does help when you're scaling the business.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also when you're filling the first roles, each person needs to have 12 hats. And actually, as you grow the business, there's often a bit more flexibility that you can allow in the positions and therefore a bit more creative thinking about what that person could be. And sometimes in those first 10 or 15 hires, it's so difficult to be flexible because you know that they need to be this, 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 and this, and you can't really do without it. Whereas I think you know, once you're in the position you're in now and you're going from 25 people to 50 people, actually, there is more flexibility and you find those hidden gems that might have been in an industry that you wouldn't have been able to consider a year ago, two years ago. Um, and that's where I think you you can allow for that flex in the actual hard requirements to meet more of the soft requirements, which is nice.
1: That is, that is very true. Uh, and also um, the industry uh, is growing, which means that uh, we're not the only ones who are training um for hydrogen related jobs. There are others and the experience is is being created in the market and that makes it actually easier uh, to hire experienced people uh, from the market. And uh, that gives the, like a greater access to a, a bigger pool uh, that will have uh, the diversity that, that we're looking for. Uh, so it is becoming easier as we're uh, growing. Uh, there are like more opportunities. Obviously, there are more more challenges uh, as well. Um, Making sure always that, you know, you have a, a cultural fit or you actually restructure the business. I mean, not, not the financial restructuring, but actually every time you add like uh, 10, 15 people to the team, you have to think about policies that uh, everyone connect to, everybody is aligned with, everybody is, uh, you know, will buy into. Uh, and that, that's, there's hiring and there's the managing afterwards. Uh, so that that becomes a, a, a challenge as well. But uh, having said all of that, we've, we've built very strong infrastructures in the company that building on top um, doesn't feel as hard as it, as it used to feel eight years ago.
0: Yeah. And that's the beauty when you have a great management team around you as well all of those things on day 1 that fall to you where you are commercial finance ops scientist engineer everything all on the same day and actually sometimes switching from one brain to another is a bit of a a bit of a challenge and now you've got that brilliant team around you it actually allows you to to look up and out and make sure that you're looking to the future and that leads me to my final question which is what the future holds um for you in the business where are you where are you headed and what do you hope to achieve
1: thank you so much for asking this question i think we dwell too much on the challenges that it feels like it's that's it uh but uh uh yeah having said that all of these years we've been um optimizing and scaling the technology that uh today it's it's out in the world and it's being um uh, you know, it's we've started the stage of metal on the ground and building large scale, commercial scale uh, projects. Uh, we have a few ones now. Some of them are announced, some of them are not, uh, that we are very, very proud of. And we have uh, industrial partnerships with uh, collaborators who have been like phenomenal to work with. Um, They understand the strengths of the technology, they understand uh, how does it fit in the industry and and they really appreciate how it can transform their businesses. And uh, that is a stage that is very exciting for H2Go Power. Because From here onwards, we'll always optimize technology and try and make it better but we're not building technology anymore, we're deploying it. Uh, And what you can expect from us in the future is to see a lot of our systems uh, being deployed in industrial applications, in heating applications, and uh, you expect to see us in different countries. And uh, that is the the, the type of... um, growth that uh, I always wanted to see in the business. And it's finally getting to, uh, to that,
0: uh, that point. Well, that is all extremely exciting, and it must be a really rewarding point of the journey when you can actually physically see it with your eyes outside of a lab. So well done, um, and yeah, we look forward to seeing you appear in more locations, more industries and, and across the globe.
1: Thank you very much, and I uh, really enjoyed uh, uh, being on the, this podcast. Thank you so much for bringing me on board and uh, really persevering uh, in the process of <laughs> keeping up with me. And uh, uh, all the questions that you asked and uh, uh, the points that you brought up are uh, real uh, it, Pain points or uh, uh, exciting points to uh, to talk about, and it's not a typical uh, conversation that I have on a podcast. It's not very very market focused. It's really about the journey, and uh, I always enjoy telling it. Uh, you know, d- despite the the fact that it could, like, you know, if I'm talking about the ups or downs, it's it's. Uh, it's a journey that I I hope that uh, you know somebody at a chemistry department or uh, doing a PhD or a postdoc will uh, will listen to and think that uh, there is so much that uh, they wanted to do and 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 because of someone else's journey um, they would they would uh, uh, have a go at uh, starting a business and 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 solving. Uh, a, a real climate uh, issue that could uh, scale and grow into uh, a real solution and opportunities for them and for others.
0: Well, I certainly think your your story is extremely inspirational, so I've no doubt of that. And hopefully some of those people in some of those chemistry departments might be knocking on your door for uh, an opportunity with H2Go Power because that growth is set to continue. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for telling your story. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing to, to help with the decarbonization strategies.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.